welcome to the latest edition of Black Coffee with a Little Sugar. This is Stan. This is Jason. This is Yvette. Um, thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, we're kind of, we have mixed emotions about today. So, you know, this is the morning after we learned about the death of Chadwick Boseman. So we're a little down, um, like the rest of the country, the rest of the world. Um, but we do want to spend some time to kind of reflect, um, you know, on on his life and what he meant to us, what he meant to our families. And, and you know, we think it's the right thing to do. Um, we have a lot to cover today, but we are going to start off with, with our Black Panther. Um, Yvette, you want to kind of kick us off? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, the Black Panther brought so much energy uh, to the movies. Uh, for Black people, we hadn't had a superhero before. Um, and it has just been incredible to see the light in my son's eyes as I looked at that character. And when I had to tell my youngest villain this morning that he had passed away, just the tears in his eyes, um, because I know that that is his favorite character. He wears these pajamas that are way too small, but he just can't give them up because he's got to dress like the, the Black Panther. It showed so much uh, about two Chadwick Boseman about how he just worked and didn't complain, even though he had to be in pain and, and tired and sick. Um, I, I just think that this loss is, is an incredible one for us all to try to process. Yeah, I think the, the, the way this was a shock to so many of us, not, not, just, not, not just about his age, but about the fact that no one widely knew that he was sick. There was no big uh, deal made about him battling cancer and, and doing this that I think is a, is a testament to his desire to continue to provide the, what he did to people, which was inspiring, iconic uh, characters. I mean, you know, Stan knows, we're, everyone knows we're a Marvel family. Stan's gone with us to, to see some of the Marvel movies. Uh, my girls, uh, you know, uh, they're, this is, this is important to them. And, you know, it also, though, you got to look at what else did he do? What, what other great movies do we talking about? We're talking about portrayals of Jackie Robinson, portrayals of Thurgood Marshall, James Brown. I mean, there's a million things that this man's done and been an iconic uh, actor. And I, I'm hoping that people continue to, to see that and put him on that level of a pedestal as well. Um, because again, you know, folks felt like the world ended when Heath Ledger died, but they better be really stopping and, and saying, we've lost something special. You know, in, in my household, um, we, we probably watched Black Panther at least a dozen times, probably more than that when you look at the kids. And, um, you know, for a couple of years there, it was the favorite. And, you know, part of it is, it's a quality movie, it's just good, it's just good well done. And then the other part is, you know, this is a movie where everybody in there, except for one person, maybe <laughs> looks just like them. So it's even they had a little sugar, even they had a little <laughs> sugar in the movie. Very, very little. <laughs> he, was an important, he, he played an important part, though. Let's just and you be know honest. what? He was actually pretty, <laughs> he was pretty likable, too. But, um, but, you know, it was, you know, and you look at the futures, the, you know, all the movies that were to come, you you're already envisioning him in it. And so this is, this is tragic on a lot of different levels. 
we're having conversations, parents are having conversations that they didn't think they'd have to have um, this morning. So so my heart goes out to people. Um, personal, to, I always have to give a personal story. Um, you know, we, we, thought, we talk about Black Panther, everybody thinks about Black Panther, but in my household, um, it was it was when he portrayed Jackie Robinson in 42. Um, Justin um, was, was a baseball player. He was in the league, probably was seven or eight. Um, you know, like any other parent, I'm there for practices, for games. I happened to have to work one day. I missed a, I missed a practice, and it happened to be the day that they were um, giving out uniforms and getting numbers. And that's an important day. Everybody wants their number, and everybody wants certain numbers. And what was so cool was, you know, the sport is so white, baseball, and the city they was playing in is so white, Minneapolis. And so he was the only black person. And I wasn't there, and he chose 42. And I was just so proud of him. I was so proud of him and all that work and all those lessons and all the things that you hope that you're teaching your kids, you realize, oh, he is listening. And so he wore that jersey proudly the whole season. And he got so many comments from so many people about, I love that. I love that. And so I was proud of him. But that's where it, it means something to us because back when he was seven and eight years old, um, Chadwick was in our lives. And then when he did the movie Black Panther, he came back up. Um, and I remember, you know, calling Justin last night and telling him, you know, that that his hero died and, you know, the tears just started flowing. The tears just started flowing and, and my tears were going to start flowing. So I better hand this off. Yeah, I, again, I think we have an opportunity to, to see more of, of, of what he was about um, and learn lessons from him on a deeper level. And then make sure that wearing those PJs, even is going to be something that he understands the whole meaning behind wearing those, right? Absolutely. You know, yeah, we have a little bit of time, but I, I just also want to say, um, you know, he's 43 years old, right? Boy, that's, you know, you know, people, it's so cliche for people to say, man, live your life to the fullest and enjoy every day. But when things like this happen, man, that becomes real. We need to, we need to enjoy our day. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can today to live um, because we don't, we don't know if we got tomorrow. We don't know if we have later today. So um, who wants to learn lessons right now when you're kind of grieving somebody's death, but we can always learn something, can't we? Have to. You know, um, we're going to transition. Uh, we've got a lot of things to cover and you know, it was been a tough week in this country. How many times have we said that uh, over the course of this year? It's been a tough week in America. Um, well, we had another tough one, and and we're kind of, kind of, we're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm gonna let um, um, Jason or Yvette, who wants to kick this segment off? Yvette, go ahead. So, <laughs> so um, Jacob Blake. I have so many feelings about about that. Um, for one, I'll say that I'm just tired of all the hashtags. It's like it's a it's a different hashtag seemingly every week about somebody who's been hurt or somebody who's been killed. Um, Jacob Blake, you know, is is close to my heart because he has he has three young sons and they were in that car and that could have gone totally totally wrong. Um, 
I keep thinking about all the things that were were taken from him, from his sons. He won't be able to run and play basketball with them. He won't be able to to um, to do a lot with them that he would have normally been able to do. I just it's it's heartbreaking, and to keep trying to explain the same things over and over and over again. Um, and the fear, because my kids right now already have a fear every time um, Phil and I go out, my husband and I go out, and um, and this just doesn't help anything at all. Jason, what do you think about this? I, you know, I, I got to bring, I can't, I can't imagine what that is for for you. I I know what I deal with when I see when these things happen. Um, I go back to those that I still uh, care for, who are still uh, cops across the country, um, and I and I see I see a predictable pattern. First, they're going to say you don't know all the facts, so don't make judgments, or you get idiots like union leaders over here in Minneapolis who turn around and say, I assume he was armed because obviously they wouldn't have shot him if he wasn't. So right away from the same people that would have said, hold your judgment, decide to turn around and blame the victim once again. You've got a, you've got a young man who gets shot seven times, is paralyzed and still handcuffed to a hospital bed. It, it, you've got, and I've got officers and, and friends that will still say, well, you don't understand, you weren't there, you can't make a judgment. And, I have to keep pushing back on that because at some point we have to stop that narrative and we have to start the narrative of what is wrong with these pictures? What is wrong when you see them chasing him around the car with their guns out? First thing they teach you is you don't take that damn thing out unless you know you're ready to kill something. And so they were already in the mindset that they were ready to do that. So by not putting that thing away, by not knowing that they could have gone to something else or, or continuing to, to understand why did they have to stop that. And again, there might be facts that come out that explain a bunch of these things away for people, but I'm not buying it anymore. I cannot continue to watch good cops do stupid things because of fear. When, when, when force is, is used, the first thing they tell you to write down is you were in fear. If you're acting out of fear and now you know that the people you're interacting with are afraid, how is anyone expected to act rationally? How is anything supposed to go right when fear is at the heart of everything? It is, it is way too much to, to work on to try to understand that. And then again, then you add in everything else. And it's just, I've gotta, I've gotta help figure out a way for my for folks that I care about to not keep getting into these situations. Stan, you're, you're ready for something? You ready to jump yeah, in? Yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> On this one, I don't. I don't have a lot to say because um, I, I get so upset. I mean, aren't folks ever going to get tired of having the same old conversation over and over and over again? And it seems like we're not learning anything. And you know, I will say, even if, even if he committed a crime, let's say he did. Did he deserve to die? Did he deserve to be paralyzed forever? Not die, but did he deserve to be paralyzed forever for it? I mean, and then did 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 George Floyd should he have died? I think that you know when people don't they just don't value us. They don't place they don't see us as human. They see us as 
you know, and I'll take a shot at Minneapolis. They see us, they treat animals really well in Minneapolis. They don't even treat us like animals. Because, I mean, if you look and see all the doggy daycares and all the stuff, <laughs> the, the salons and stuff, I mean, they don't even treat us as good as animals sometimes, black men. And I don't know, like, I don't know a lot about guns, but I do know that seven seems a bit much to stop somebody. It, you know, and it, it's the, the training, I, I can tell you the official training line is you, you, you shoot until the threat is neutralized. But my problem with that statement is as he's moving away from them to get into his car, what is the threat? And again, maybe, like you said, maybe there's something will come out that he was promising that he was going back to the car to get something to kill them all. And maybe there's some, something will come out to justify all of this. And that I, I, I will leave that open to the world of possibilities, but running away from you with your back to him and putting seven rounds into somebody is, is just not how it's just not how you're taught. It, it's, it's fear-based, it's anger-based, it's racial-based. It's all of that. I, I, I was lucky enough to never have to to shoot anyone. Uh, you know, when, in my years of law enforcement, the closest I ever came was, ironically, dealing with a with a, a very angry big old Rottweiler. Stan's talking about how animals get treated better, but two of us were there. The Rottweiler was there coming at us. One of us shot. One of us didn't. I didn't shoot because I I was able to to make a decision that I wasn't in danger. My partner was behind me, thought I was in danger, and he shot. So I've been, I've, it, it's such, it's such an inconsequential comparison, but it's the closest thing that I can draw to, to say that, that fear is what drives people in these situations, and we have to stop that. We have to get to a point where that's not allowed to do it, because fear then turns into radicalization of people around them. And that's where I, we got to transition to this kid. Yeah, and I want to say this, and I'll let you go, Jason, but yeah. like they, the cops didn't seem too fearful of that white kid, did they? No. No, they did not. I mean, they, they seemed like he he was able to stroll down the alley and with a, with a assault but, weapon. He, you know, and, and, and this is where, like I said, it's like it, it, it's when folks want to argue that, oh, well, it's, it's not race-based or it's not based on anything else. It's just the weapon was the threat, or and then it, there's there's what you're saying. It's the exact opposite. This kid from not from around there, they didn't know him, comes in there. You know there's tension. You know there's going to be arguments, and you let them walk around with with slung rifles, looking for a fight. This narrative is we know that's what this is. We know that's what's going to happen. People are looking to antagonize and to fight, and we have a young man who is radicalized and turned into a terrorist. And if we don't say that out loud, we are fooling ourselves. And the worst part for me is that part of that radicalization started, what it sounds like was in a police explorer program. And that scares me that that's where this started. And that's where he had some of this, this rooted in him. And then he took it to this level where he crosses state lines. He didn't care about Kenosha. He wasn't there protecting his own family. We had people in, in Minneapolis protecting their businesses. And that's, that's one thing, but he wasn't protecting something that he cared for. He was out there looking for a fight and people pointed him in a direction and knew they could create anarchy. And one of those people, we have to say it, is our president. When the shooting, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. 
you he this kid tweeted out himself, put it out himself on social media that he was front row at MAGA rally. We cannot disconnect these two things. He didn't Donald Trump didn't make him do it. Now, don't get on me and say I'm blaming Trump. I'm not blaming Trump and I'm not blaming the weapon. I'm blaming the kid. Well, I'm but blaming the kid, him. I'm blaming Trump. But the kid had, but but what we put what we filled his head with is what broke this kid. And what we we got to fix that problem. Yeah, so I mean, we've got a lot to cover and and you know, so now, you know, now we have protests again all over the country. You know, and Minneapolis there's protesting almost every day. That's not changing and and now we I mean, we face another dilemma. I mean, we had a night and Jason, I think you want to talk about this too, but we had a night that felt like we were back in the George Floyd mode again. We felt like the city was was it was chaotic and scary. And a lot of people don't realize it, but I mean, I guess I'll, I'll give people who don't know from, cause we have people all over the country listening, but um, we had a, an incident in Minneapolis where um, a young man was accused of homicide and the police were looking for him. And um, they, it was still daylight and they, they, they started narrowing in on him and he ended up, kind of walking in a direction of a decent crowd. He went into the corner, he took out his gun and he, and he killed himself. He shot himself through the neck. And, um, you know, then rumors started happening that it might've be it might've been an officer, um, driven shooting, um, which was not the case. And then all of a sudden we've got people out on the streets and Jason, you kind of want to take it from there. Yeah. And I want to, I want to say, you know, Felt like George Floyd in, in one way, but I don't. I think we've got to separate because I think you and I are going to talk, and, and this is where Yvette's going to really get into this too. Is that this was not people protesting injustice. This turned into people coming down to capitalize on a tragedy and use it to to loot and to riot, not not to protest. Because what happened was the Minneapolis police released the video almost immediately, and many of the leaders of the movements that were leading the charge. For protesting during George Floyd's uh, aftermath, were right away saying, "This is not that. Do not go down there and be part of this. People are coming down there just to to raise hell. Do not be part of this because this was this was not that. This was not a an officer involved shooting. But the problem that we've created, and just when people think I'm going to be anti-cop all the time, we have put our police in a very impossible situation." We have put them in a place where we've demanded that they protect from things like rioting and looting, but then we also demand that they do it in such a way that it also protects everybody. And that's a very difficult thing to do. When, when a mob of people is downtown Minneapolis trying to run through the, the skyways and the malls and breaking windows and getting and, and attacking multiple buildings at once, you there's a level of inability to handle that in a, in a gentle manner. Now, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of frustration, I'm sure, about how those are handled. And there's a lot of points where maybe it gets out of hand, but we, we continue to ask folks to do something that is very difficult. Stan and I have a, have a personal situation where we, we back in our old, in his old job, in my old days, we had people protesting. We had people protesting and, and disrupting meetings. And I was, as, as, as in my role, I, you know, I've got to make sure people are protected, but I also have to make sure we're not acting crazy. But when those people came and tried to disrupt, 
we had folks, high level folks yelling and screaming at me to do my job and do my job to them was to drag these people out. And that's not acceptable either. So we've got to find a way to support folks and we've got to find a way to change this narrative that allows this looting and, and this, and I don't want to fall into a law and order scaring people, but I think we got to do something. I'll never yeah. forget that night. Do your job, Jason. Do uh, your job. Uh, <laughs> um, so um, I, I just think, um, you know, being in a in, in in a in an environment where you know we're protesting every day and for good reason, um, police there needs to be massive police reform, um, and you know you have folks that are, but we we have folks that are criticizing um, or making excuses for people like and so where I want to go with this is, you know, this clip this hits close to home, you know that Target that that Nordstrom Rack all those stores that were hit. You know, I was planning on being there this weekend with my kids for back to school shopping some of those stores. I mean, this clips host hits close to home. And you know, this this looting was was out of control. And you know, I will say, you know, people have a double standard. Some people talk about how, you know, this is just a reflection of society and this is just this is a result of what's happened. And I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna say strongly, that's bullshit. Those were criminals. And I'm not going to teach my kids ever to loot. And anybody listening on this podcast, I guarantee you, you're not teaching your kids to do that either. And so I am sick and tired of people merging these issues, meshing these issues, trying to make them seem like they're something that, that, that is okay. No, it's not okay to go in there and tear down somebody else's business and walk in there and take everything that they have. And and I, I and I don't care if people think that's controversial. That's the truth, in my opinion. What do you think, Yvette? I know that we weren't raised that way to take things and and break things that don't belong to us. And all of a sudden, that this is the norm, and these people are um, they're out here just doing craziness. Um, I live in a predominantly white county, um, thirty minutes north of of Tampa. And that doesn't help me and my family living where we live. I mean, people start to think all kinds of crazy things about how black people carry themselves. And we could be in the wrong place in the wrong time. And it's like, oh, well, they're gonna do this or that or the other. I mean, it's it makes it harder on everybody who's trying to do right. And you can't unsee um, suicide on video. I mean, what are we supposed to really do with that? Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of words on it. I mean, it's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, Jason, I mean, uh, do you have anything to say about that? I mean, I know you've dealt with suicide and a lot. Hey, you're right. I mean, I can, I, I can tell the story of being outside the door when, when, and trying to negotiate with somebody and try to get them to come out and hearing that shot go off and knowing what's going on. So I've been there at that level. I think the 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 again we put ourselves in a very difficult situation. If we if we're not, the call to be transparent versus what does what does that impact by seeing that and those who are struggling with mental illness and are struggling, what does that do? Does that call them to to follow suit? Does that trigger for them a spiral back down to their to, to their demons? And I think we need to make sure we are doubling down on how we address and support mental health needs of our community. 
Um, but in this situation, I, this is that you can do nothing right situation. I think we, we started talking a little bit. We are at a point where what what we say and do is 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 dissected so quickly that it, it it makes it very difficult for folks to to do what is quote unquote right because nobody nobody agrees on that and everybody wants to jump on you when they don't agree. Yeah. So so I think you know in this society there's so many problems that we have to solve and we 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 won't be able to solve them all. And, you know, in a situation like that, everybody has a different kind of reaction to it. I personally, I was grateful to see that video. I was grateful to see the video. I mean, not when I, I'm not grateful to see somebody die, but with all the stuff that's going on and all the games that people are playing and law enforcement and unions. And, you know, when I saw it, I mean, it was tragic, but it was, there was no question. And um, the media kind of, kind of backed off of that and stopped showing it, which is fine. That's 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 what they need to do. But personally, you know, I needed to see it, and I saw it, and my whole demeanor, my whole reaction changed when I saw that. You know, I, I think we have to end this podcast with. We thought at the beginning of the week that this was going to be the main thing we were going to talk about. Now, to me, it's the most insignificant thing. Not really. <laughs> not not if we not not if people don't vote it won't or be. <laughs> or it's the, the silliest thing the coronation of the of of our trump the emperor right mm-hmm. the clown and so we're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about the rnc and and i will say that i'm gonna start off with a positive well it's gonna be kind of positive that kickoff video you know coming from a communications marketing background that i have man that was a really good video it was well done. Man, it was an award-winning video. Too bad everything in there was a lie and propaganda. But it man, it was very entertaining. It was very entertaining. But you know, to me, when I summarized the week, you know, it was kind of it was just a weird. It was weird. It was a lot of meanness, a lot of nastiness, but just a lot of strange propaganda. I felt like back, you know, during the Cold War. When, when Russia and, and other places were doing their propaganda, here we are in the States and there's propaganda happening every day throughout that convention. What do you guys think? I just think that they were using a whole lot of um, scare tactics. I went into the um, watching the RNC with, with different motivation. I really was interested in what, you know, what people had to say. And it was just more of the same, like, you got to be scared if the other side takes, you know, is in the White House. And I just thought that I would hear more than that. Yeah, especially when they came out right away and yelled and screamed about the fact that the Democrats didn't put out a, pl- a platform and all they were saying was doom and gloom if Trump comes back. And all of a sudden, first thing we start hearing is how the mob is coming for you or the suburbs. And they they roll out idiots from St. Louis who are talking about how section or you know redesigning housing laws is going to destroy the suburbs and the mob is going to be marching down your street and and all the time the coded mob talk we know what they're saying and it's um, there's a lot of a lot of doom and gloom a lot of a lot of scare tactics and a lot of really you know thinly veiled coded language in there that just uh, you know. And people that played to both sides of the, uh, you know, people that played to the base, 
and people that played to possibly those those mid ground people. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I know I know that you might not see this coming, but I have to bring it up when when and we had a, we had a little discussion a while ago during the week about this. When 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 I believe that Dana White is the best speaker of the week for the party, nah, we we, yeah. we got a problem because after he spoke, and maybe the bar was really low, but he actually kind of scared me a little bit. I'm like, man, there's going to be suburban people that's going to like this dude. I believe the rest of the people were so unlikable, but th this guy ended up becoming likable, and I'm like, this is a problem. And so I, I had, totally I had to go there. I had to go there, Jason. Oh, you did, and and you two said that, and I thought you both I thought you both were crazy when you said it. But I, <laughs> you know, and 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 to me though, I and the reason why I say it, the more I thought about it, was to me all he is is doing is firing up the base that that's already there. So yes, he's scary in the fact that he is energizing the base. Um, where I get scared is folks like Tim Scott. Now, now you may have known him for years because, because again, this is all that you know. Talk about where he's from, <laughs> and 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 just. But from well, he's me, not he's not from North Carolina. I can tell he, you that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's don't even let's don't even go there. <laughs> um, the but the the idea of uh, it was South Carolina, right? Because that, that's yeah, where he's, for yeah. sure. So, yeah, but I mean, you you were close enough down there to know that who he's been for years. And so I think the, the, what scared me was that he was able to deliver a more measure, measured message around the fear. And he would, there's a lot of guilty white folks who want to know that, that if they vote for Trump, they're not voting against black people. And I think that there's a, there's a, there's a fear there. So versus a guy like Herschel Walker, who you're like, you've been hitting the head way too many times. You need to sit down and stop. But a guy like Tim Scott, speaks to those folks who are on the fence, I think, and that scares me too. So I have been warned by my family on this podcast not to use the term that I want to use. And if I was in the barbershop, I'd use the term about Herschel Walker and Tim Scott and the guy from West Virginia that I can't think of his name. And so those of you that know what I'm saying, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm saying. And like, I don't have any energy to talk about these guys. These guys, like, you know, I cannot believe that I used to like the Dallas Cowboys a long time ago. Herschel Walker <laughs> is an absolute idiot. And, and I knew there was a reason why I stopped liking him. And that was confirmation the other night. And, 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 and then I forgot because, you know, I forget things. I forgot he, you know, he, his connection to the Vikings because I was so focused on Dallas. <laughs> and Tim Scott, yeah, I agree. He 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 he's dangerous for some groups, but you know, for other people, we we know we know who he is. He he's shown himself, and you know, when you can be so eloquent and articulate and care, there's certain things you need to say to certain communities that are in pain, and he needs to speak directly to them. I believe he has a responsibility sometimes to talk to the black community that's in pain. And you know what? He shirks that responsibility all the time. I got a few opinions about these people. What about <laughs> you, Beth? I Well, I couldn't agree more that Tim Scott has a responsibility to, um, to talk to people who, who look like him too, right? Uh, he is 
he spouts off um, the same absolutist rhetoric that his colleagues do, but without a second thought that, hey, yo, there are people that look like me out here that I have an opportunity to to talk to, and and he just he just doesn't do it, and uh, and that's disappointing. But he did give a, a good speech between him and Dana. Uh, I am just like, yo, I'm not even part of that base. But they gave a certain sort of energy that I even perked up out of my seat. Yeah, what are they saying? So Dana gave a damn good as speech. As you would say, Stan, yeah, they're dangerous. Dana scares me. But anyway, <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, but, but what about Nikki Haley, man? Like, what about her? <laughs> What's wrong with her? She's running Where for president already? Where has she been living? She's running for president America already? America isn't a... America's oh. So every time just, I want to like saying her, that America is yeah. a racist country. Yeah. She said that like and can you believe it like every but every time every time you you want to like her she she does something to make you convinced that you shouldn't. Like remember, you know, in South Carolina when she made the comments about the Confederate flag and she had that one moment in the sun and it was almost like, you know what? I need to cancel that out because, like, I was doing the right thing, and I don't want anybody to think I'm 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 not conservative enough. I mean, I could go careful. on and on and on. We're running out of time, but Jason, careful about canceling. We could talk about that whole thing, but I think I think we 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 we've seen a very push people to a very binary choice. Either you think that there's that the, the country has 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 a racist tone or a racist underlying um, that needs to be fixed. And if you think that, then they're, then you're considered un-American. I think that, that that binary choice has been has been pushed very strongly. Not about of trying to create uh, the ideal that we were sold at one point, but more about you know just love it for how it is and, or or leave it. And I think that's that's a dangerous narrative that you write. Uh, and we talk about energy. I mean, we we don't really even need to talk about the Trumps. They're just we can just uh, even... well. I think we should do rapid fire. I think we should just okay, go quick. through them real quick, just real quick. All right. Tell me what you think about the Donald. Start, start from the top, quick. Man, he was as fiery as ever. You know, he's trying to scare people in the suburbs. But I do feel like he was talking in code to white folks. I believe, like, I fell asleep on him. And, you know, I'm kind of glad I did because I knew he was, it wasn't going to be good. So I didn't miss too much. I, I watched the first 15 minutes. I'm like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go to Tiffany. And I had to ask myself who the heck Tiffany was. I, How did she I, get I, into an Ivy League school, by the way? Like, what happened, what happened there? You know, there's, there's, there's actors sitting in jail right now for getting their kids into USC. I wonder how she got into an Ivy League school. <laughs> well, my dad was driven by the Spirit of God. I'm just like, I just can't. I just mm. cannot. Yeah. Is that when he was driven to drive people out of the mall with tear gas to hold the Bible upside down? Is that the Spirit of God? Is that what he's, is tear gas his Spirit of God? Is that, his, is that how he uses it? Uh, we'll go to Don Jr. and I'm just gonna say it. I mean, he can argue all the one about lighting. That dude looked baked. He looked he looked he looked <laughs> out of his mind. Uh, you know, uh, again, talk about my my past life. I, you know, they did teach us how to how to detect folks who are impaired uh, under substances. And I'm just gonna say, he sure has, has looked impaired. Yeah, I kind of want to believe that too. I, I just I I, I want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Eric. What about Eric? Eric my dad. Go on. Oh, I'm that. sorry. My dad rebuilt the military. I mean, is he talking about where we live? <laughs> Was the military ever like destroyed down? I, like our military? I, I, I know people personally who have left the military because they don't want to serve under 
this commander in chief. So I don't know about you know dismantling, re rebuilding something that wasn't on you know wasn't broken. Except you know maybe he's talking about space force. What what I'll say about <laughs> Eric is he has single handedly given Saturday Night Live material on a consistent basis. They they mm-hmm. if you want to find out about him, go to Saturday Night Live in the new season. They they have fun with Eric. And then we have our, our biggest conundrum talking about Melania. So so dancing this line between being real. And, and making sure we're not jumping across to, to judging her on, on the wrong thing. So what about Melania? I thought Melania gave a great speech. Um, I thought that she promoted herself well. I thought that, uh, oh my gosh, and she was dressed impeccably. Everybody gave her a hard time about that military green dress. I loved it. And that lime green dress with those heels. I liked, it. I, liked, I liked it, guys. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's the only thing I like, though. Like the rest of it is. Mm-mm. I love it. I love that it gave the green screeners something to do though, because there's been some great, been some great <laughs> stuff coming out after that one. But I have to say the the, the most energy, because it was an ener- energetic. We we do have to give props to the most energetic performance um, in a in a revival of Evita on the RNC by Kim Kim Gilfoyle. I mean, let's just be honest. She she was she was ready to sing it from the from the balcony for everyone to hear. So. I, I, you know, when I saw that name before we were going to do the recording, I started laughing. She makes me laugh. I can't help but to laugh. Like, I'm glad that she did that speech because that will forever be one of the funniest moments in a convention because she pulled a Harold Dean mm-hmm. and it was, it was, she was there by herself pulling a Harold Dean. At least Harold Dean was instigated by a crowd. She was by herself right. doing it. That means that she really believed it. I mean, I was almost expecting to hear a B3 Hammond organ in the background. I mean, for for, <laughs> for those of you who are, um, have been at a black church ever, when a, when a preacher is about to go into hoop mode, yes, and you get the, the organ in the background, that's what I was thought. That's what I was thinking that I was going to hear in the background because she was going in. On a different podcast, I will defend, I will make sure... I tell folks why she would never be able to make it in a black church. <laughs> She's not going to survive. <laughs> we got, we got a lot of different topics in there. For, oh my god! This could be this could be a three episode set just on that alone. So so we we have to wrap this up, but um, you know, we started off and, and it was very sad, but I think we've had a good time kind of talking about all these these topics today. Um, you know, I like I always um, we're happy to talk to you guys and. You know, if you enjoy this, please share, like, rate us, and um, we'll be back the next time. Um, thank you for listening to Black Coffee with a Little Sugar. Thanks, just guys. Remember, thank, Thanks, just guys. remember, the world, the world could be in chaos, but it's always better with some Black Coffee with a Little Sugar. Preach on. Preach on, bro. Oh, God, no, boy,